Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic, the future. This is Cracking the Code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, Operations Director at AIS in London and former Vice President of Implementation at Liberty Global, Tom Walsh. Leader of men isn't going to come easy. It's going to come with a lot of effort. It's going to come with a lot of work. It's going to come with a lot of things to happen. And that's where my experiences in life began. Walsh's life began in a farming village in Ireland where he learned important people skills from his parents. We were told, you know, listen to what people have to say. When they come into the house, greet them and greet them properly and give them time. His mother's battle with cancer taught Walsh the importance of believing in something. And it doesn't make a difference what you believe in, but you have to have something to anchor yourself with. An important time management skill, he says, is don't linger on mistakes, move on. People make mistakes, but you can't focus on the mistake. You've got to move on. You've got to say, because if you don't, that piece that I'm after just calling out to you will work against you. If you think that things are in trouble, if you feel that things are in trouble, trouble is going to hang around. You've got to break out of that. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Tom, first of all, it's been a privilege for me. Welcome to Cracking the Code. Aloha. I don't think I can be more honored to have you here in Hawaii as we do this recording for Cracking the Code. Thank you for joining me as a guest on the show. Well, I am delighted to be here as well, Sudhir. Hawaii obviously has its advantages in weather. Unfortunately, as you can see, if no one else can see it, but my skin isn't built for weather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've noticed that. Good Irishman coming to Hawaii. Correct. I have red and I have flaking red, and that's about what I have. <laughs> but no, I'm delighted to be here and, and to sit with you for a while and shoot the breeze with our topics that we're going to go through. I can see them there in front of you. I'm trying to have a quick look over. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll take it one step at a time. Thank you. And, and by the way, it's uh, for, for our guest, Tom Walsh, guest on Cracking the Code with Sudhir Spahani. Tom and I go back many years. We had the privilege of working together. Tom had many roles in helping build one of the largest broadband networks in Europe, which today is Liberty Global. One of the key roles he had was he was all about people and all about making sure people had a smile on their face and could laugh. And one thing I remember about Tom is you could be really down and he would still make you laugh. He had a sense of humor about him. Tom was our senior vice president of implementation, did an enormous amount of good for not just the company, for the people around him. So Tom, first of all, welcome. Wonderful to have you, my dear friend. Thank you again for coming to Hawaii. It meant so much to me to spend the last few days with you here. I don't know if I can say it well in words what it has meant to me to, to sit with you over the last few days and just talk about life. So, Tom, uh, one of the things about cracking the code is this whole aspect of life lessons and learning about leadership through what life teaches you. Being able to inculcate that for our future 
leaders, you know, as to what you learned, what Tom learned. So we typically start with our guests, typically with asking them a little bit about what happened in childhood and where life started for them. Well, I grew up in a village by the name of Finuig, which is in County Kerry, Ireland. I grew up in a time when it's a farming community for the most part. I grew up in a time so there when, when uh, farms back then, each of them were, I suppose, had the orchard, the, mm. the pigs, the hens, the, the full self-sufficient element. Mm. And this was probably in the, the, the you know, from my earliest memories, uh, the, the, the 1970s. I had time to two brothers, Richard and David, my mom, dad, and my two grandmothers in the house. It was a happy household. We, you know, did, did a lot of things together. My my father was a, a mechanic and went on to be, become a teacher in mechanics uh, in what was the training facilities in in account and intrally. We had a good life. Now, when I was talking there just a few moments ago, I grew up in the time when there was a self-sufficiency. There was a time when neighbors would help each other. There was probably less machinery, more manual labor required in life. In my rural community, you you had the cutting of hay and the saving of the crops. You had bogs and the, the work that needed to be get the peat in for the winter's fuel. A whole range of activities uh, that had to be done every year, year in, year out. I grew up in a time when you know there was large families around. Ireland at that stage where I just mentioned my two brothers we were I suppose quite a modern family for the time my parents said there was three and that's all there was going to be which put me at a disadvantage when I had two families around me both O'Sullivan's and both with 10 children plus so <laughs> so we were, I learned at a very early age how to mediate try to keep out of trouble because if I did get into trouble I was going to lose <laughs> when it came but Big families in the village itself. There was a lot of kids. I remember going up to my, my local school, John Clock National, all of us walking maybe a mile and a half to school before even the, the bikes came in. Just good fun, right? I, I, I remember happy times when things were, I suppose, just simple. Mm. Right, we all had our chores and our things to do. Our communications was quite limited. We shared the telephone line with the neighbors. You judged what you know who was calling by the number of rings on the phone, and uh, you always knew that well, if you got special news, the whole village knew very quickly as well because someone else would pick up the phone at the same time, and it was very hard not to hear what was happening. <laughs> right? But that was the type of system and so the communications was limited you had your one television channel it came on at five o'clock in the afternoon and it switched off at about 11 o'clock at night <laughs> and you had uh, you know the Tom and Jerry cartoons and you had all those little bits and pieces that uh, made life interesting as I went to secondary school in Listowel, County Kerry. The first of the, the knocks came at life. You know, my mom had developed cancer and non-Hopkins lymphoma. You know, the people, I suppose, of life that rub off in you. My mom in particular taught me some very basic lessons. She achieved, when she got her diagnosis, 
uh, it actually recurred about five times. The first year, first, from the first recurrence, you had about four and a half years. Then that the next time it reduced to three. Next time maybe two and a half. As the disease came back, it obviously got more aggressive. But it wasn't the disease. It was her her uh, magic to me was what she achieved. What she believed in to get through each treatment. I laugh at it when I think back now is that the first treatment that she had, she believed she took an element of religion, which is an easy one in Ireland to take up on. But she believed in a a, a saint by the name of Padre Pio. That got her through. Mm. The next time it happened, she believed in carrot juice. Now, far from the religion that is, but she believed it would help her get her through. The next time, she believed in a fur coat. I remember it well. Not just a normal fur coat, a mink fur coat. Now, my father at the time, <laughs> right, like I said, I think back to him, he was going, oh, what the hell is this one about? Because they didn't come cheap either for our family. But my mother had a little business, a bed and breakfast. We had three cows, mm. a small farm, and I can goggy, middle one, and mother. I can even remember their names, <laughs> right? So that we can tell there was an attachment there. But she believed in getting her fur coat, and that got her through a treatment. My own graduation was one of her targets, and she believed that she was going to get to see that. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is that one of the things in life that has taken me through is I heart back to those moments mm-hmm. in belief, mm-hmm. belief to get you through the rough times. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make a difference what you believe in. Mm-hmm. But you have to have something to anchor yourself with. When I say these things, that was probably the start of the lessons of life. It's interesting that you say that, you know, I mean, all of us have have had phenomenal observations of our parents. I'm sure just hearing you talk, you're looking to your mom and dad and what they're doing and how they're living life. So what was it like? Uh, dad was a mechanic and mm. he was working very hard, Yes, obviously, to keep the family going and yeah. all of that. What were some of those observations, you know, as you looked at mom and dad and said, these are some of the things I'm going to keep with me for the rest of my life that will carry me? You just mentioned one of them. Yeah, with your mom. My, my father, as you mentioned, yes, he, he, he was at the motor mechanic in the evenings would come home and he'd begin repairing lawnmowers. And that would go on till late in the evening, particularly in the summer times. So you saw there was a work ethic. And myself and my brothers, we had our small little farm. You can't leave cows without milking them. You have to milk them in the morning. You have to milk them in the evening. You have to feed them. You have to take care of them. So you learned that those little jobs had to be done. I watched my mother, like I mentioned, she was running into bed and breakfast. She was running this model farm as well. Since my father would be away during the day, all the things that would have to be done in the house, be they, they were home cooking. We, we always had great food. Never a problem there, as you can tell by the size of me today. <laughs> I haven't stopped that either. But the things were is that we had also, from my mother's side and, and my father, people coming to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an open house. They have a lot of visitors, and you know, as youngsters, we, we'd 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 have 
people coming in either to talk to mum about getting help if they were going through rough times regarding the, the, the cancers and the stuff, but also because, you know, my mother was, what do you call, a great networker as well. Mm. And, and so we, we would have a, a lot of folks coming in. My father was the strong, silent type, having to deliver the the income and, you know, I, I probably take some of that from him myself and that, you know, you, you feel that the, the, he was the, the role of uh, keep the family uh, on the right track financially. My mum gave us the, the the nurturing of the the good foods and the sensitivity of caring for others, being conscious of who we were with, teaching us the mannerisms that we had to be told and how, how to approach people and how sometimes one of her greatest things that she would teach us was to listen. Sometimes not to talk. Now I'm doing a lot of talking this evening. Yeah. But overall, it was, we were told, you know, listen to what people have to say. When they come into the house, greet them and greet them properly and give them time. It's always rubbed off of me throughout my career mm-hmm. is that giving people time when they come into the office to talk to me. Because, you know, sometimes we do we do all this business and we do this high tech and we do all this, you know, fast and it's all activity. It's important, I always felt, that to talk about stuff that was going on in our heads. But you need time with people to unlock mm-hmm. those things that are going on. And sometimes there are worries. And someone just wants to talk. Mm-hmm. But if you don't give it a little bit of time, you never get into the mode of getting that person comfortable. That was one of the things that my, my parents taught me, was how to listen. And it's never a case of how you can advise. But sometimes the key element, and the first one, is listening. So, but my parents, other things that, you know, like you said, it, you know, when I when I when I think about the, the other values that I picked up, the core ones were hard work, the element of the the work ethic, uh, the element of the uh, communications, the simple things like I just mentioned here of shaking a hand, shaking a hand properly. We worked part-time as well. Myself and my brothers, when we got to about 13, 14, we were out uh, working in the local hotels. Mm-hmm. Starting off, there's a famous festival uh, in Listowel called Listowel Races. We'd be having jobs of collecting the glasses, and God knows there'd be enough beer glasses going down during those festivals. <laughs> but we'd be going around, doing, picking up our bits and pieces, getting our couple of tips as we went along. Uh, again, you know, th- that was getting us the exposure for later on in life and how things would work out because, you know, I, I, I remember in particularly when I was about 14, 15 years old, I flattened my first, uh, I became a, a bouncer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was a big guy for 15 year old, right? But I flattened my first victim totally by accident in that I remember this man coming up to the door I was distracted someone pulled me for some other reason the door slapped closed in his face and he was flattened on the floor now when he recovered he didn't think about the door that closed I remember being a 15 year old and this man outside waiting at 3 o'clock in the morning for me to come out and I realized as well as you can imagine sometimes 
no matter what communications you have, you're not going to be able to explain everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see our parents pushed us. Yeah. My, you know, both of them would be doing this constantly. My mother would be concerned about our education mm-hmm. to make sure that you know whatever abilities we had, that we'd be using them properly. I went to the, a vocational secondary school, which opened up the not just the academic, but also the the, 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 the skills of woodwork, metalwork, a whole pile of things. Uh, I found out very quickly that my talents were not to be done with woodwork or, or, or metalwork. I didn't make connections between plans and hands <laughs> till I was in my late 20s because I would end up having to glue or smother my my joints in glue or sellotape them together or whatever because it didn't just come natural to me. Which, as you can imagine, was a little bit of a, an unusual one since my father was such a talented man to mechanical elements. Right. And I was going, right, I'm first, I'm a failure. Right. <laughs> but... That was not the case. As life went on, um, I, I then uh, moved on to third level. I trained as originally as a technician in telecoms, and I then went on did that in Limerick for a few years. Uh, got a good old basis on, on, on from that point of view. But I came to a bit of a crossroads uh, in life and going. I wanted to go and become an engineer, and. It was a case of how do I become that? Was my mathematics good enough? You know, what was, you know, what options could I get get in Ireland at the time? And they were very limited. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in London. I was very lucky. I met some good people along the way mm-hmm. who helped me out. I hit a time in London when you could work part-time and, you know, weekends and stuff like that, and you could get into college during the week, and the the, the part-time work was good enough to pay for the university mm-hmm. and accommodations and bits and pieces. And with the support of other people around me and good friends, some magic was able to happen there in that over the, over the years in London, I finally got qualified and began, uh, I got a, at the time was a BSc in electronics and management. And with my telecoms piece, I believed that I was all ready for life and that it would be all very straightforward from then on in. It wasn't a short, clear-cut path. It probably took me in the region of five plus years to get through that. But that's because of going about things in a roundabout way. And when you don't know the ins and outs of universities and colleges and everything else, sometimes you make a few screw-ups along the way. So, like I said, that wasn't the first time I made those, but... It was something that happened. I learned my in in I went to Middlesex University in, in London, and uh, I think back to some of the the, the eye opening moments of my first time working with being a leader of men. So when was that? Well, I'll tell you how this leader of men became <laughs> because I was probably this is probably back in nineteen nineteen ninety around that era. I was about 22 and I was on placement and I went to the company I I said on this placement look I'll work for little but will you expose me 
to everything you can. Expose me to each department, from finance to planning to operations to building, whatever. From CAD, from there. So I started in CAD uh, because they were short a CAD engineer and I knew a little bit from the college element. But I got my first job there with Bank of America mm. and doing the installations, probably best word to use is using cat one this is a this is, this, is, this is a long time ago but the thing was is that you know bank of america lovely environment all very high tech at the time lots of american consultants watching them and you're beginning to see wow look at these people and what what are they doing and what's so special about all these cables and what's this thing called a router and why and all of that cisco were just beginning to produce kiss and and you're going wow Right, but when I did my wow there, it didn't last for too long because my second job was in Beckton Sewerage Works, which <laughs> handles seventy percent of London's sewerage, and my job was fiber optics, which was quite new as well, to the sewers. So a bit of a taste of environments, as one would say. But going back to the leader of men, yeah, well, the Beckton Sewerage Plant was where I was given a team, a bunch of lads from Liverpool, and they said, Tom, you're the potential graduate here, you're, you will be leading us. And they dressed me up in my protective suit with my gas masks and my gas meters and detectors and the whole lot you needed before you went into the sewers. But you noticed my first day I got ready to go in, they took the manhole cover off from me and said, Tom, lead us in. I said, okay, this is straightforward enough. Down the ladder I went with my gear, with my little torch on my helmet. And I got to the end of the ladder and the manhole cover was put back on. And I said, this is a little bit, uh, there should be a bunch of fellas behind me following this great leader. And they weren't there. And next thing I noticed, a manhole cover above me and a manhole cover below me, about maybe 25 meters each side of me. <laughs> was taken off and I could see the shafts of light coming into the sewer and the manhole covers went back on and I was going what the hell is happening well this leader of men all of a sudden had two explosions because the, the folks above me had put in bangers into the sewer at each end when they took off the manhole covers and what was next to happen was every rat between in the sewer, in that 50 meters, popped out of the wall, and they all ran towards Tom in the center. <laughs> and all you could imagine was, you know, this leader of men with his little torch, without his team, getting his initiation into the sewer program was an eye-opener that has always stuck with me going, no matter how much of a big ego that I had at that moment before I walked into the sewer, it was reduced dramatically, but in no, in, in no uncertain manner. When they took the cover off, Tom was pale, Tom was broken before the first day. <laughs> but 
it was the experiences of yeah. that, you know, when, when you know, to, to realize this was a time when now if you did that, you would be, there'd be so many laws broken, you, people would be reporting and whatever, there'd be health and safety issues, I'm sure, 101 things. But at that time, this wasn't the case. You, you were expected to learn, but also people would put you in your place fairly quickly. You know, you realized, you know, leader of men isn't going to come easy. It's going to come with a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. It's going to come with a lot of work. It's going to come with a lot of things to happen. And that's where my experiences in life began. It's very interesting to hear you share these early uh, life experiences. Of course, you and I have spent some time together, but... Uh, you know, you've be, you've had a tremendous career, um, not just uh, the time we spent at uh, Liberty, but post that you've had some incredible experiences over the last 15 years, all as a leader. Obviously, it started very early. Yes. Yeah. Yes. With these uh, with these men that you had to lead in yes. this uh, in yes. this uh, group, this uh, sewerage. So I'm just curious, where did you start defining your leadership style? Because I know Tom as a very relationship-driven person. And what is your leadership style? My leadership style is, and I have to give it a little bit of thought when, as, as you asked the question. One of the things is sometimes you think you have no style. You just do what you feel is natural. Right. People would say, well, you can you can work magic, you can do this, you can do that. I, I suppose the qualities that I found for me was uh, perseverance. Mm-hmm. When given a task that I always felt that I, I could stick with it mm-hmm. until I cracked it. I think it's been one of the, the talents and one of the gifts given to me where not giving up uh, sometimes people would say that's a, you know you should that's a bit of a curse as well but from a leadership point of view when people would see me they, they would see Tom sticking with it until it was figured out mm-hmm. and being able to plan being able to think about the things that can go wrong, go right, not overanalyzing it, but being conscious enough to know that there's risk in everything, and your job is never to limit, try to eliminate all of it, but reduce it. Working, I, I suppose, w- with people. It's one thing having my own personal abilities, but delegation building the confidence of people Mm -hmm. it sounds very easy at times but i want people to succeed i always want people to succeed around me i want them you know to say to to, to, god tom i can do better than you and i would go i'm delighted i haven't got you know an ego that says to me well i am the mr knowledge and it shall all remain within my room i've always gone to the point where i'm delighted when I see people uh, taking on things and, and moving on in life, I was part of developing them. I, I get a kick out of it, <laughs> you know, right? I get a kick out. But in doing, in getting the kick out of it, I you you, you build, you know, you, along the way you meet some diamonds of people who just have magic, have abilities that sometimes they don't even know. And getting that out of people, coaching them, convincing them that what they actually can do is even more than they even guess themselves. Mm -hmm. 
apart from delegation and building teams, I, I would also, you know, when it came to my leadership, I like being transparent. Mm-hmm. I like people to understand that there's targets to be met and there's goals to be achieved, but they must be able to be measured in some way. Mm-hmm. Not just do something. I'm, I'm one of these people who, if I can't measure it, it's the old adage that you hear, if you can't measure it, you, you can't manage it. Well, that's very important to me. Yeah. And when, when you've cracked that part, then it must be transparent. Because I don't want ever to be in a position mm-hmm. of going around micromanaging people. Mm-hmm. or standing over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. I like to be able to go into meetings, know what i got to spend time with, mm-hmm. what's hot and what's not. Mm-hmm. Because time is valuable. And I know some of the people listening here will, uh, will have a little time to even listen to me. But it is valuable. So you better spend it properly. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very much focused on trying to sort out the, re- the, 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 the real issues from the imaginary. Uh, and if things are going well, uh, give someone a slap in the back, but move on quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, building the teams. I have two adages in life that I've taken through my, in my own head. One of them is what you think, what you feel, and what results will match. That one is inclined to give me a bit of a boost at times because with, with, with I suppose, leadership, you know, people make mistakes, but you can't focus on the mistake. You've got to move on. You've got to say, because if you don't, that piece that I'm after just calling out to you will work against you. If you think that things are in trouble, if you feel that things are in trouble, trouble is going to hang around. Mm-hmm. You've got to break out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things. And the other thing that I've always thought about as I've gone through life is that time. Yes, there's always the management of time. But more importantly, mm-hmm. and particularly with younger people that I'm trying now to mentor and stuff, is that sometimes a 24-year-old will come in to me and say, oh, God, Tom, I wish I had done this course, or I wish I had done that when I was 18. I wish I had chosen this. Mm-hmm. And I look at him and I go, what age are you? 34? I go, you've got... 44, 54, 64, and 74. You've got 40 years of life ahead of you still in working. You can do an awful lot in that period of time, but remember, you've got 40 years. Will you find something you like to do? And once you find that, don't harp back on what's gone by. Focus on that chunk of life ahead of you and when you at I am now uh, 52 years old I still have 62 and 72 to come up before next 20 years I can do a fair bit of damage in that <laughs> so but like I said careers have changed and as, as you mentioned it, it's you know these are the qualities that that uh, from from a leader prospect uh, leadership perspective have had an influence on the style that I do use, on, you know, motivating people. I am not a person. I mentioned there earlier on about, you know, knowing the performance and transparency. Why I like that in my management style is that I would rather know that a problem is happening quickly mm-hmm. so that I could put my hand out and help someone mm-hmm. rather than finding out a problem long after anyone can help Mm-hmm. Because once that has happened, then the root of blame, 
the root of you know uh, of the big analysis it's much 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 better to be in a position where you can measure the effective progress of whatever projects of whatever ambitions in life early and regularly rather than waiting for the end to have happened and then reviewing and some because sometimes the reviews are just not good but if you had been doing as a manager should be i always feel constantly checking themselves regularly then you will detect the problem and it's so much better to be building talent by helping them out mm-hmm. rather than just sitting at the end roaring and shouting and getting upset it doesn't do it any for anyone i actually feel that i'm a failure mm. if i have to roar at anyone if i have to get upset to that degree i feel that it's my failure mm. and that i should have had something in place the other adage on leadership is and i work with you long enough before you get to me to give me maybe a kick in the bum now and again i'd have kicked myself a couple of times before that <laughs> you know you were just the icing on the cake <laughs> and i suppose being self critical is one of the things to drive me that would drive me on that would be the motivator to push me on uh, you know and, and achieve the next piece so i suppose there are some of the the you know, ones that jump into my head i'm sure you know something i'm sure when this is over i should ah oh, god damn it i wish i had said this 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 <laughs> but no i look i'm shooting from the hip and and uh, these are the things that jump out now that's you've been a natural leader when i've observed you in in your role and the time we've had together you have a very core base of foundational morals and values that you lead from and operate from and hearing you talk about how you observed your mom and dad instill those in you allowed you to become the great successful leader you are you have been a very successful leader let me ask you one or two more things you know uh, related to leadership i mean leadership a lot of us now we live and learn it and we grow in it and we learn from our mistakes what are some of the things you learned not to do as a leader with yourself with your teams with the with the teams you built and the business lines you built and the organizations you built Well, I suppose what not to do, I have to walk into something without planning it. That is something that my own character is is on to plan. To charge in, you have to do it in certain elements. Would you call that we call that firefighting? Mm-hmm. And it's never the best mode to continue over the long period. Mm-hmm. One of the things would be to sit, to plan, Mm-hmm. to to understand mm-hmm. the objective to understand the risks to understand the people that you would need involved mm-hmm. to make it a success to put the markers out there that you know that you, you can track the mistake is uh, that I would feel is that but not to do because yeah, if I wasn't to, to put a measurement to measure and be able to measure what is required and what is to be done if it's profit to measure where you're at today if it's time to be measured where you should be tomorrow if it's objectives if you can break it down then that would be to me asking for trouble 
<laughs> right, you're asking for trouble. That would be certainly things that would come straight to me. You know, you can't get away with that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's, it's fascinating to hear you talk of, of the insights and the learnings you've had in your leadership life, in your career and everything else. But tell me a little bit, when you meet somebody, what do you hope to to leave them with, to instill in them? I, I want them to see my passion. Of all things that I want them to see is that they say, hey, Christ, that fella is passionate about what he does. Mm-hmm. Because I want to always be passionate. And I want this, people to see that. And I want them to go, because it's the passion that drives me. And I still see that. I mean, yeah. you know, I haven't seen you in a long time. You're very, very passionate. You're yeah. very uh, excited about living life. It's because, you know, the energy, the passion, magic happens. You can overcome obstacles. It's like when, when, when I know I've had parts of doing when I've been doing due diligence, when I've been doing many, many elements in, you know, in, in jobs that I've been doing. Uh, when, you, when you meet people, it's normally, you can learn to, to, to sing a song, but the real people, the real artists you always remember are those who do something really special mm-hmm. to that song. When I, I'm meeting someone and I want to leave something with, I want them to say, Tom is, is, is passionate about what he does. Tom is knows what he's doing and is just not saying the magical words, just entertain anyone. And be real, trying to be real. Not to go <laughs> off in fantasy land because it, it's one thing when, when we're talking to someone about ideas, but Tom is always thinking about execution. Uh-huh. So to be to execute the idea, it's got to make sense with, with whoever you're talking with, or else, you know, you're just waffling. So I, I I like them to feel that they're seeing the passion, they're seeing the energy, they're seeing the ideas, mm-hmm. they're seeing the they're seeing momentum mm-hmm. in me. In the past, I would use when someone would come to me and say, "Okay, we need an objective hit," and I felt that we could make it happen. I just reply, "Done." <laughs> you know, the simplest word. But when it was said that it was going to be done, even if I failed, I had given it my best shot. Right. It's not that you can do everything, but if you say, "Well, I wonder," then you need to do better than wondering. <laughs> and when you're talking to someone, you know, if you can give them the the, the the sense of, "Yeah, I've got your idea on board. I think we can do this. I think we can execute properly. Maybe we can improve." And mm-hmm. um, but look at me. We can get this done. I think we're off to a good start. Great. Thank you so much for sharing some of those insights, Tom. And a uh, couple more questions for you. One, one of them is, uh, you know, how do you know at the end of the day you, you've done right by yourself and for others? I mean, you look at yourself in the mirror and put your head down. <laughs> well, the... well there's, there's some who would say, uh, when you're going, Tom, uh, what was the profit in that last job? Right. So, <laughs> so there's always that easy answer. It's like the, the sense of when it comes together and it's worked out, a sense of it, there's a sense of achievement. Mm-hmm. There's a sense that, you know, when you have a team, you've got over the final fence, that team has developed, mm-hmm. right? They are now stronger, better. Mm-hmm. And the next project they can do can even be, they have the, conf- the confidence built up that they can take on 
stuff that they can even do it better than me. So that's a sense of achievement. Watching the successes that I've had and that I got the greatest kick out of, and we talked about it at the start, have been seeing the team members that I've been with expand, develop, go on to greater things. Mm-hmm. There's no better feeling than that. Uh, it's a passionate thing you know, because it ties into the passion because all of a sudden you're going, wow, I am so proud of that person. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of, I've, I've done another chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of these folks who, uh, the chapters of life, sometimes, like I said, we work together. Mm-hmm. I look at it as a chapter. We had, we had many paragraphs where we had a start, a beginning, and an end. I remember starting with 5,000 customers in Helmand, and driving down as the project manager, and next thing, uh, five years later, having you know three and a half million subscribers, right? And all the growth that happened, and all the things that happened, and scaling, mm-hmm. how everything was scaled. I mean, I didn't mention it as we went through, but you know, I've always, you know, one of the key things, and I'm still doing to this day, is taking good things and good projects, and constantly being able to scale properly. Mm-hmm. Right? It's one of the, the things I take pride in uh, of how to manage scale. Mm-hmm. Because, because we did that. Mm-hmm. We've ha- we had to crack all those nuts. I suppose when you get to my age now, and I look back, I, did it, I had so many kicks in the ass. <laughs> right from doing it the wrong way it's about time if I wasn't doing it up to now it's about time I was doing it from here on in so no those so those are some of the, the elements that come to my head of, of the success and the, the feeling of success and the, the joy of it's like being a child the joy of cracking new projects you know we live in the time of the te- technologies galore I've been very diverse in, in, in over my career path, uh, it hasn't been just telecoms. I've been doing, uh, you know, construction. I've been doing many, many, many different trades. But the, you know, the, the wonders that I, that I, I see with technology is that you can apply technology these days to help any business sector. Right. And because of cloud technologies, because of the, the data. Well, let's put it this way. We talked earlier about transparency. The other key element that I find in companies for success is data availability. I can have a smartest person working with me, for me. But if I'm feeding crap data into them, or no data, or late data then the chances of a good decision are minimal. I could have the biggest doom boy, even like myself, sitting down with good information, and the chances are, if it's analyzed properly, I can make a great decision. So, one of the key key points that I find in business, apart from all the leadership elements, is having good data that is clear, that doesn't take a whole pile of analysis that is live mm-hmm. that can be worked on right now 
and a decision can be taken. So I suppose, you know, and I, you know, it's a typical example of, I, I know would expect engineers to be very savvy when it comes, not just engineering, mm-hmm. but to understand money. To understand profit and loss, yeah, not just the CTO being a, a person who is sitting back thinking of technology roadmap, but understanding money from start to finish, absolutely. And if you're not, then you're not doing your job. If you're not doing that, it's a hobby that you're doing. Right. Like I said, I said I'd just throw in that there for last measures. As I'm going along, I'm thinking of these brain waves. <laughs> anyway, no, no, that's that's something else. That's funny. Uh, this happens with most of our guests, and uh, you know, we sit here talking about these incredible life lessons on leadership, and you've had you yourself had had tremendous amount of them, and sincerely appreciate the valuable insights you've shared for our audience. But I have one last question as we bring the show to a God damn close. <laughs> I thought I was escaping. <laughs> Life comes full circle on us yes. and it eventually fades us into the sunset. What do you want people to remember Tom Walsh by? Oh my God. Uh, what do I want to remember? Tom was there for me. Tom helped me. There'll always be projects, there'll always be techniques, there'll always be data, there'll always be technology. But the human element is the most important one to me, and I'd like to be remembered by that. It's not a case where Tom knew all his stuff or Tom made all the right decisions, because Tom hasn't. But, you know, Tom has tried his best. Tom has gave it his all. I could trust Tom. Those are the basics. You know, that's it. I'd like to be remembered as, you know, from when I think about it, I'm trying to think of more words, but I really don't want to. I, 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 if, if someone said to me uh, and going, you know, Tom, you showed me this, you showed me that, man, I feel I've achieved something. I, you know, if I, if, I, if I could launch other people, if I can mentor them, I'm happy because... I've done small companies. I've done the SME. I've done the consultant to national governments. I've done this corporate route of, you know, deploying millions of subscribers. I've done all that stuff. And so I don't have nothing to prove to myself or others in that field. But I would like to be along and say, you know something, he, he wasn't just churning out stuff. Uh, I could go and I could talk to Tom and I could have a chat and I could discuss my plans and he could give me a bit of guidance with other, others who have worked with me in the past. I would like him to say, you know, he could always give me that little bit of time that I needed. I really appreciate you sharing that because uh, the little I've known you, one thing I can say is you are all about people. Tom is all about relationships. It's very reflective in the fact that you chose to jump on a plane and fly for 24 hours to see this. This guy is fading into the sunset here in Hawaii. Hawaii did have a little part to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, no, that's all about Tom, and that's who Tom is, and that's what I remember Tom, and that's what I will remember Tom about, is you are about people and you are about relationships. And uh, I thank you for joining us on the show, Tom. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I, I must also say you can't forget that you were one of the mentors. Thank you. And that it was also appreciated on my side because the experiences we had in our chapter yep. roped off on, on many other chapters. And, you know, that's that's how life should be. You know, and, and like I said, I have to tell my own kids now, and you're trying to gear them up. Right, okay, where do you start, <laughs> right? But that's another debate and for another time. Yes. But thank you, and it's been a, tr- a thrill for me to be here. I'm delighted that you had me on this. I'm glad you didn't give me the questions because I would have been writing notes for days. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, okay, done. Appreciate it. You're warm. Sudhir, I know your time with Tom Walsh was more than just a podcast. It was your chance to reconnect with an old friend. The joy comes through in your conversation. Walsh is a great storyteller. I enjoyed hearing about how growing up in a small farm village in Ireland set him on a path as a successful leader. He had to learn the skills of mediation because he was surrounded by the O'Sullivan clan. His parents taught him to take time to listen to people, which we've heard from many of your previous guests, is a major key to leadership success. And his mother's long battle with cancer, teaching Tom the importance of believing in something. But with all of the wisdom Tom Walsh shared, my favorite story was the one about his initiation as a leader when he was leading a crew on a fiber cable installation project in a London sewer. His crew, which had spent many hours in the sewer, dropped fireworks into the hole and closed the cover, sending all of those rats, hundreds of them, rushing toward the young Tom Walsh. I like this story because not only is he able to laugh about it, but even counts it as a positive career experience as he is cracking the code. 